Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career with your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 22 with Dr. Barry Glassman. He likes me to call him Barry as you'll see. So this is my first ever full intro and outro video podcast and I'm glad this is Barry. Uh, He also featured in episode 8, which if you haven't listened to it, it's a great episode. I'd urge you to check it out. Episode 8 was all about anterior midpoint stop appliances and do they cause AOBs. So if if you haven't heard that already, it's, uh, it's really great. You can, you can hear Barry's passion in that, uh, in what he believes. And I guess I want to give you some context uh, in terms of what you're about to watch with the, or listen to if you're listening on the podcast between the conversation between myself and Barry. Basically, what Barry teaches and what he's all about, um, and I'd, I'd heavily recommend going on one of his courses because it's a different way to see occlusion. And basically, the crux of it is, is that it's not the occlusion or the malocclusion that causes a lot of problems that's called let's let you know whether it's chipping or um, things breaking uh, TMD uh, which is a very loose term it's not because of the occlusion per se it's because of occluding and uh, I, what, what Barry always says on his course is nouns don't hurt people verbs do so um, the occlusion is not as important as the occluding so if you've got someone who's like a, a 17 and a half minute a day chewer, then they're not likely to cause that much problems with in terms of um, destroying their teeth or TMD, because essentially what we talk about is the relationship between parafunction and causing repetitive micro trauma in the temporomandibular joint. It's quite, um, we, we discuss a fair bit of anatomy at the end, so it's actually a good revision for that. And I'd actually encourage people to, if you're listening on the audio podcast version, to actually go to the video version, which some of you are watching right now, because Barry actually shows the, the temporomandibular joint and the disc, and he describes about the lateral pole and the medial pole, which is something that's not very well understood. It took me years to, to get the hang of that myself. So people might say that Jazz, you know, you just said and you've, you've, you agree with Barry that occlusion doesn't matter. So why do you, Jazz, go on so many different occlusion courses? And uh, as you know, I'm a bit of a, a junkie for learning about occlusion. And I guess the answer I have, uh, and I sort of touch on it a little bit on the episode, is this. Is that yes, occluding is the problem. And the occlusion per se is not as important. But remember that not all of your patients are going to wear appliances. And not all of your uh, patients will adapt to one. And when you have an opportunity to rehabilitate someone or reorganize their occlusion for whatever reason, then you obviously want to set it up for a minimal stress occlusion, which is something I learned from Ian Buckle at the Dawson Academy. So if you're gonna go through the effort of really doing, placing lots of restorations, you'd be foolish not to design it for, so that when they do parafunction, they parafunction in a more, in a more dentally beautiful way as someone recently put it on a Facebook group I saw. So that's why I, continue to learn about occlusion and um, it's it's good to have that hat on but also it's really good to have Barry's hat on about and actually occlusion doesn't matter it's occluding so I like to marry them both together. I start off the discussion with Barry by introducing a parable that I read about it involves 12 blind men and an elephant and this parable is quite a famous parable in religion obviously but there is one version of it I read that is very relevant to TMD 
And if anyone has read this parable, you will know exactly what I'm talking about if you have read it. Can you please send it to me? There's like a PDF version. And I've always remembered it, but I've never been able to find it again online. So if you know what I'm talking about, can you please send me that parable? So listen to, I make a bit of a pants of it, but you can listen to it anyway as I, as I share it with Barry. So Barry is an oral facial pain specialist. Uh, so I speak to him about how to manage these complex patients, what therapies he does adjunctively to, let's say, an anterior midpoint stop clients where indicated. Also, towards the end of the episode, we discuss about anatomy and clicking joints and whether an anterior midpoint stop clients, as some people may argue, is contraindicated for um, someone with clicking joints. So you can hear about his view and the anatomy and how it relates to it. So um, the protrusive dental pearl I want to share with you before we uh, jump straight to the episode with myself and Barry is... I've had a lot of people ask me, because uh, they saw that I went in the SmileFast course, uh, and they asked me about the SmileFast course. Well, firstly, I want to say I have no financial interest with SmileFast. Uh, I just went on their course, and I have the utmost respect for Tom Seeley and uh, Mide, who are the founders of SmileFast, clinical founders. And I have to you know, give it to them. They've set up a fantastic system. So if you're someone who's doing or planning composite veneers or um, rehabs, um, I think it's a great ROI because I think I'm already, at the moment, spending time and money on digital wax-ups, um, the stents that, that I usually make myself, uh, and I think the whole package they've created is really slick, uh, so I quite liked SmileFast. Unfortunately, we're in the midst of the coronavirus crisis at the moment, so there's not going to be much dentistry happening, happening for the next couple of months, but uh, I, like the, I like to think that I'll be using it more and more in my daily practice. So the pearl is, if you're sitting on the fence about SmileFast, do it. It's actually... I actually really enjoy the course and I think it's going to be very clinically applicable. It's going to save me time and money. So that's my pearl shared with you. Uh, so let's jump to the episode with Barry and I, and I'll catch you the outro. Uh, uh, but Barry, oh, listen, I think we're having trouble with your mustache. You keep playing with it. Uh, everyone says that. All my guests, they say that. It's like, stop playing with it. But it's, it's, just, it's, 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 I don't know. It's just a natural thing for me to do. You know, it's it, every time I've been to, um, a, a, a long course the instructor at the end says you know what there's a sign like when you're thinking when you're in deep thought or when you're interacting occasionally you do this then you're then then i'm in trouble because you're thinking all the time now <laughs> i generally am my, my other trademark is my other trademark is really stroking my beard as well uh, so this is one of my um, professors told me that and identified that and uh, so <laughs> it's, it's definitely a trait of mine so get well, used now they're on video get used to it Everyone, welcome back to another episode with uh, Dr. Barry Glassman, who's in sunny Florida right now. And we've evolved since episode eight, where we talked about AOBs, we've evolved into video. Uh, neither myself or Dr. Glassman has, uh, have had uh, plastic surgery, which both our wives recommended, but yet we're still on video. Episode. You need to call me Barry. Okay, yeah, thank you. you, need to call you Barry. Me Barry. Barry, thanks for coming on again. Uh, that episode about. Uh, AMPSs or anterior midpoint stop lines and AOBs was very well received. Uh, it's had over 3,000 listens, uh, you know, counting on Facebook and on through my podcast platform and stuff. So the message is getting out there. Now, if you're listening to this and you haven't heard episode eight of the Protrusive Dental Podcast, please listen to it because I see it all the time still on social media bashing these appliances, anterior only appliances, because people still think that the posterior teeth will overrup. We're not talking about that today because we've covered that extensively and, and to a good standard, I'd say, Barry, uh, on episode eight. So I think we're way past that. But I wanted to bring you back to do some more myth-busting with occlusion. I'm here. 
So let's bust them. I want to, I want, I want to, let's bust them. Let's bust them. Absolutely. So the first thing I'm going to ask you is, um, have you ever heard of a, a, a parable with, um, the 12 blind men? Does that ring a bell to you? 12 blind men? Uh, my wife is here. Did you ever hear a parable of 12 blind men, Jerry? 12 blind men. No. Uh, okay. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. But okay. Uh, let me tell you this. I'm uh, the guest, a parable. And then from that parable, I think will lead to our first question. I'm, do, I'm making a, a fun thing. Okay. So the parable is, uh, this is set, the parable is set in India. Uh, and there's these, there's these 12 blind men uh, walking through the jungle. I don't know how, or like, you know, through some guide or something. But anyway, they're 12 blind men. And um, they come across an elephant. Now, um, none, of the, none of these uh, guys can see the elephant. So each blind person grabs on to a part of the elephant. So we're talking about um, occlusion and TMD, but they're, they're essentially attacking this elephant why, in the sense that one person is holding the elephant's leg and says, the elephant is you know, about yay big and I can feel some hard nails and um, the elephant is um, almost like circular in sort of cross-reference, in, in, in cross-section. And then the other person's like, no, I mean, uh, the elephant is really hard. It's, it's really, really uh, tough. It's obviously holding on to the tusk of the elephant. And then the other person's like, no, no. I mean, the elephant's got like a, a long dangly bit and, and, and a hairy sort of a tail type thing. Uh, and no one can agree what this elephant is, right? Uh, and of course, the, the elephant is being perceived by each blind person based on the part of the elephant they're touching. Now, how can we relate that to TMD and occlusion? Well. If you go to um, a particular dentist, that dentist might say that TMD and occlusion can be treated by finding an interference, deleting that interference and doing lots of funny things to the teeth to realign their jaws and suddenly all the problems will go away, right? Another dentist might hold on to a different part of the elephant in this TMD and occlusion type elephant and might say that actually appliance A or appliance B will sort everything out. And another elephant in, in entirely might say, actually, it, another dentist might actually say, actually, it's the combination of the chiropractor and physiotherapy and having Botox in the masters is what's the right thing to do. And the fourth one will do a, a TMJ surgery. So this is the situation, I think, and I think that parable represents the current situation well, that actually, depending on which speciality or which dentist or which clinician you go to, you will get completely differing opinions and none more so than in the whole topic of TMD and occlusion. So what do you think of that parable in, in relation to TMD and occlusion? Um, I think we should keep it in India. <laughs> no, no, I, so, so my wife is saying, is saying to me, boy, that's really good. They look at one part and but, but where is the, where may I think about this? Where, is the problem. The problem with the parable is that we have a, an actual physical thing at the end that's true. It is an elephant. Yes, and what the elephant represents is, is what? Parafunction. Ah. No, I, I think the elephant, the elephant represents, unfortunately, TMD. Okay. The results of, in other words, what we're trying to find is not the cause. The, I don't know, we can get into the blindness here is, is the, <laughs> possibly the cause, but it's not the cause that, that, they're, that, they're, that they're coming up with. 
Yep. It's the end result. It's that, that final thing. What is, they're trying to identify what this is. Yes. And the answer is, it's not just what you feel on the leg. It's not just what you feel on the tusk. It's not what you just feel on the ear. It's the whole thing. The, well, the, the whole, whole thing, thing absolutely. That, yeah. The whole thing represents, therefore, the, 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 what we're trying to identify, which is quote unquote TMD. And the problem is, there is no such thing. Yes. So while the power, I, I, I get it because where the parable is really good, where it's really good, is that what it's suggesting is that there are contributing factors that we can do different things and wind up with a positive result. And then what happens is we assume a mechanism. We assume the mechanism based upon what we did and then assume that that's the mechanism that was at play that caused the result and assume therefore that the next person who shows up, the next elephant that shows up, that TMD thing, mm -hmm. that I can do the same thing I did because it worked before yes. and that's going to therefore work again. And if I don't do it, the way I was taught, and it doesn't succeed, one of two things happen. Either this person's psychologically involved and they can't get better because after all, I did it as well as I could have possibly done it. And I know how good I am. Or I'm insecure and I think to myself, boy, if only I could equilibrate as well as the person who taught me. If only I could put in appliances in as well as Barry does. Wouldn't that be great? And the answer is you, you probably can but in this particular complicated case, with its own unique factors, the mechanisms, the contributing factors may be different, even though we identified it as an elephant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. I think I told my story a little bit wrong. I think the, the, in, the, in the story, the way I read it, I've been trying to find this website where I read this um, parable initially, and it, it was on like this um, TMD type website, but I, I, I like the story better in the way I read it, because actually the, the elephant represented power function, and, and everyone's trying, treat a different thing but it, it, the, what the story that what the author was trying to uh, make the connection was that actually we need to the power function and the trauma that results in, in, in anatomy from that be it the the, the muscles uh, that take a hit the teeth or the uh, the joint is that actually, is, is, is the power function is the main thing that we need to to to, to help so the, 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 that was that and to what degree do you think is everything is responsible and all the problems that we face is from parafunction and, you know, in the dental TMD occlusion type things that we're going to be talking about parafunction has, has a huge role to play. In my way of thinking, uh, there are those, uh, Jesse, that, that, that don't, that don't agree with us. Um, uh, there's a, there's a, a big movement in Italy, uh, led by a, a dear friend of mine, uh, Danielle Manfredini. And, um, they're spending a lot of time, accepting uh, the fact that parafunction may play a role, but don't really think that appliance therapy has much of a role. And they're looking more at access to, they're looking more at um, um, a psychological uh, component. And, and which is, which blows my mind because when, you know, most of the damage that, it, that a general dentist is looking at um, isn't significant pain. It isn't significant headaches. Uh, they're not the, the, the secondary care patients that, that, that I saw on a regular basis. The general dentist sees the wear patterns that you see. The general dentist sees the 
initial joint dysfunction. Um, maybe some uh, limited joint pain, but more clicking or 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 or, or a low grade discomfort. Uh, this is what the general dentist is seeing, and don't you know? And I'm having a little trouble dealing with someone telling me that these is these are access to patients. These are these are psychologically. This is a, this, is, this is a physically damaged joint. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that you can identify. Yep. Yep. And and we can do. And how did it get that way? And what we know is that it got that way always as a result of some sort of trauma. In the absence absence of trauma, these joints, these ligaments that that tether the joints, they, they, they don't get damaged. And and so they they get damaged not from the forces of function, but the forces of trauma. And the trauma could be micro trauma, which is the power function that you're referring to, or macro trauma. You know, your wife punching you in the mouth uh, on a regular basis. That's it. <laughs> That uh, or a fall uh, or or a road uh, traffic accident or yeah mm-hmm. you know a, a football injury for goodness sake mm-hmm. you know so so sure um, you're supposed to be impressed that I came up with football rather than soccer so 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 <laughs> so so yeah I I I think from from a general dental standpoint um, power function is incredibly important and so easy as we've learned to control and that's what the, that's the greatest frustration. Um, um, I think at one point in my life, Jesse, I, I really thought that um, I was going to be able to, I, I, mean, I know this sounds, I, I thought I'd be able to help my, my profession more, more than I have. And, and, and I, in some ways, really look at my career as somewhat of a, um, a, a, somewhat of a failure, only because um, I thought I could make the restorative gurus understand that what they were teaching was extremely important. But that if we would just add this simple parafunctional control concept, that is, you know, that we have study after study that shows with decreased forces with anterior midpoint stops from Hattori uh, to, uh, to Becker. I mean, it's just, it's, oh, it's over, it's overwhelming. The predominance of the evidence is overwhelming. And, and, and why not apply that to protect our patients and the dentistry we do for them. It makes no sense to me. And I thought it was so simple, um, but it, it, it flew in the face of them trying to make this restorative pain dysfunction connection. And they, they, wanted, they wanted the teeth to play a, a, greater, a greater role as though, as though the cranio-mandibular system is dominated by teeth. It's dominated by teeth because that's what we see. Mm-hmm. That's what, you know, the, the chiropractor thinks it's dominated by your cervical spine. You know, the neurologist. And, and the physiotherapist will think something different. And uh, these are the people who, these are blind. Where are all the blind, you know, men in the parable? <laughs> the, 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 the neurologist thinks it's all, you know, it's neuromuscular. It's, it's, it's controlled by the, uh, by the brainstem. Um, and, it, and, you know, we in dentistry, try to create these mechanisms that we talked about. Neurology doesn't do that. Ask a neurologist the cause of a common headache. What will they tell you? I hope they'll say dehydration. No, well, <laughs> the, reality is, the reality is we don't know. You know, it's, it's a dehydration as, as you're drinking and I'm drinking coffee uh, and causing increased dehydration. But the, but, the, but, but the reality is, is that there are many contributing factors. We're still 
still battling over what a migraine, the physiology of the actual migraine. It just changed three years ago. We no longer consider it a, 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 a vascular a headache. It's fascinating, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the, we, we don't know a lot about science that we don't know, but there's very little about dentistry we don't know. And so dentistry needs to find answers and it creates the very mechanisms we've, we just explained because they, they want to feel good about what they do. They want, they, they, they want that cookbook. They want to be able to look at a patient that says, you have TMD, this is what I do for you. I put Botox, I adjust your bite, I use flat plate appliances, I use a tanner. I should know because I'm well-trained by Dawson and, um, and I, I see an increased influence of, of, of the restorative gurus, by the way, in England, which is fascinating to me. Um, and, and there is a certain, there is a certain, I, I don't mean to be offensive, but there is a certain arrogance to knowing all the answers and, that they, and, and looks at the rest of us in dentistry as like we're, 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 we're the stupid ones. We don't understand what interferences do and, 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 and how important jaw position is and, and, and we don't understand fencing and, and, and some really absurd, when we look at the science, myths. Uh, and that's, that's what we... My goal in my teachings as it is to truly simplify this for the general dentist. It's not that complicated. Truly simplify this for the general dentist. Not so that you treat migraines, not so that you wind up treating you know, advanced um, uh, uh, headache referral patterns and orofacial pain, but that you can look at, the, at, your, at, at that, that, that patient who is starting down that road and you can make a recommendation that's so, so simple and really help them really help them and then get to use your brain in, 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 a, in, a, in a positive way and but you they have to unearn these things that are being brought across the sea and being Can you give an example to, to make it tangible to listeners about the most common things misconceptions that people initially when they come on your course that they have uh, so what are these common myths because uh, there's a question I want to ask you about parafunctional control but before we get to that what are what is the most common myth that you'd like to bust are you enjoying the protrusive dental podcast well allow me to deliver you even more value you can now download the ios or play store app for free just search protrusive on your app platform now if you're a true protrusive and you want to support the podcast you want to claim cpd for all the listening and watching that you do you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible as well as a premium newsletter access to the protrusive vault and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later you can get all of that for less than 15 tax deductible dollars per month so what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. What's the main message that you want you dentists to get from this episode? What, what, do, you, what do you think it is? Uh, <laughs> I think having been on your course, which was uh, great for changing my mindset, uh, is <laughs> that occlusion doesn't matter. <laughs> Unless you're occluding. Unless you're including. So basically, you know, for those who, haven't been on, for those who haven't been on Barry's course, I, I strongly suggest going now. That's not to say that, and, and, and this is my opinion, Barry, okay? That's not to say no, that you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't l- learn how to do a full mouth rehabilitation for those who want to do it in, in the gold standard way. Because when you're reconstructing the, the dentition, 
you want to set it up so that it, you have a mechanical advantage in within your dentistry in case the pa patient, you know, all my patients at the end of a, a reconstruction get a, a, a night guard, right? They get an NTI, a, a SCI, a FOSS, whatever, you know, all the appliances that I use. So they would, they would get an appliance because I know that their parafunction will most likely still continue because we know that um, putting their jaw into centrifugation will not stop their bruxism. Uh, doing fiddling around with little interferences will not stop them from, from still parafunctioning. So if they parafunctioned before on their natural dentition and they destroyed their natural dentition, and then when you give them a full mouth rehabilitation, it's going to continue, right? But the whole reason we learn to do it in that way is that in case they forget to wear their appliance, that things are um, uh, in a mechanical advantage for you. The forces are low. Uh, so, so that's what, you know, it, it, that's an important part of it as well. I think for those who are giving the people the dentistry they, they, they want. So therefore, the myth that you just expounded upon better than I can was that we build occlusions for function as opposed for parafunction so that the concept no, no, other way around right other way around we, we we build the occlusion for parafunction for parafunction not function i'm sorry right yep. so thank you so that so that this concept that i want even contacts all around to distribute the forces is nonsense Yep, absolutely. That's the myth. I don't want forces to exist in the first place. So the first myth is that, or an understanding, the first big piece that's really hard to accept is that maximum intercuspation is pathological. Yep. What we test, tap, 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 shouldn't happen. May does a study that shows that there are some form of dental contact in a 24 hour period in a normal patient who may parafunction 20 minutes out of the 24 hours. Now that dental contact is not MIP. That's incline to incline. That's the dental touching when you, when you chew in, a, in some way that you could never ever predict. You know, what you when you check occlusion, you're not checking in any way, shape or form how somebody chews. You, you, it's, it's, it's impossible. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, I learned that on your that's case. The first myth. Sorry? That's the first myth. The first that's myth, the first is myth that, that teeth shouldn't be touching in the first place. I, that's not why I want it. Absolutely. And, and the studies go back to the 1960s. I believe it was a, a graph, G-R-A-F, that showed that uh, in the classical study that um, in the way that they found it was like 17 and a half minutes a day that uh, teeth should be touching. And, and some studies expand on that, that in, in your sleep, it should be eight minutes. But Barry, the reality is that I think I see wear patterns in about 90% of my patients. I, I do. I see it all the time. And I, it's because I'm looking for it um, that, that, that I see it. So I think for whatever reason, we have, you know, the populations that we see are parafunctioning a lot the, the, the issue is that people are keeping their teeth together for longer well, than that average 17 and half minutes that's the problem and the reality is that that all of the people who claim they were stopped in other words let's just say you've got a patient who's got facial pain and some joint clicking and you do an equilibration and in three months they no longer have facial pain or joint clicking the assumption is therefore what my patient stopped grinding and clenching because 
they're better. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that whenever that was studied with EMGs, there was no change in the initiation of muscular activity that brought the teeth together while they should be totally separated at night as the muscles become more and more relaxed as we go deeper to sleep. So, so what is it that happened? You change the force vectors when they in fact did power function that got them within their adaptive capacity. I 100% so, agree. Yep, yeah, absolutely. So, 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 and we can create ideal force vectors with an anterior midpoint stop. And, and that's the end of, you know, it's, it's, so, so it's you're, so you're, you're right. So, you know, the anterior midpoint stop clients can create the uh, ideal force vector, but the, the word you use and the, you know, it, it's good that you say it, is that it's parafunctional control. Right. Um, but I, I don't want people to misinterpret that. You're not controlling the parafunction, i.e. you're not stopping the parafunction in most people, right? You're, you're controlling the parafunction, you're managing the parafunction, you're localizing the parafunction, if anything, and then you're improving or decreasing the, the, the force levels being produced by the muscle switching off, but the parafunction largely still continues, right? So, so, so that's like 100% right. And I think that points out to me that that's, I disagree with you. Mm -hmm. My term of parafunctional control isn't good. It is problematic because I never thought about that. I never thought that it would make someone think that I was suggesting we could stop, we could stop parafunction. Mm -hmm. Parafunctional control kind of says that, doesn't it, Jesse? When I first came across it, it was a PAV teaching um, uh, for S4S in, in the UK at the time. Uh, and when I, when I came to his lecture, I, I must have been a student at this time, right? And I literally thought, saw the lecture title and I thought, okay, we're controlling it. You know, this is, this is going to be finished in a way. So how can we stop the parafunction? So, yeah, but, but then I learned that, you know, we're, we're, we're controlling it. We're managing. No, no, we're, we're controlling the forces as yes. a, the result from. It. So I need to rethink that. And when Matt listens to this, uh, I want to change the name of the course. I, and forever, and now I'm teaching this weekend. I leave tomorrow. For, uh, for St. Pete, and I'm teaching a, a two-day course with uh, Jim Boyd, who is the creator, the inventor of the NTI. And um, he came to me and he said, well, what do you want to call the course? And I said, occlusion and parafunctional control for the general dentist. And he said, oh, that's great. Um, and I got to be honest with you, there are, I have many weaknesses. Um, some of them I don't want to discuss uh, right here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm unfortunately my wife's not in the room because she would quickly discuss them. So I, I have many, I have many weaknesses. Um, no one is no weakness is greater than my inability to properly entitle a course. I just suck at that. I just I can never come up with good titles. And the one I thought I had, thank you very much because you pointed out to me that it's not so good. <laughs> no, I, that was not my intention. That was not my intention. That was just in case any young dentist out there thinking, okay, this appliance is going to stop someone's um, uh, power function. No, it's not. We're just in, in your way controlling it. We're reducing the forces. We're changing the force vectors. We're then creating an environment whereby the patient can start feeling better if they are symptomatic or if they're not symptomatic, then they can be protecting depending on the reason that you're using the appliance. We reduce, we offer many... And this, this also upsets a lot of people because I, I don't think as, you know, keep in mind my practice, Jesse, my, my practice was truly secondary care, severe pain patterns, uh, oral facial pain, uh, 
migraine patients that were uh, recalcitrant to, uh, uh, to abortive and preventive therapy. Uh, very, very complex, complicated patients. And a great number of them got significantly better with our therapy. Not all of them, and not and and by your uh, therapy, you 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 mean usually like an appliance, right? Like the, the, well, uh, almost. So that's absolutely that's absolutely fascinating. So when you, <laughs> yeah, when you look at at a history of of mine, like someone like me that was that, that's an old codger and started doing, started looking into pain therapy for dentists as the dentist in the late seventies. So in the late 70s, we really didn't know much, and we were taking every jaw, and we were shoving them back. I was with Niles Goucher, and we were taking a jaw and, and, and deprogramming it, and then shoving it back till we heard a clunk, putting the condyles in the external auditory meatus, and then and, 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 and adjusting the bites, and some of our patients got better. Then I met Harold Gelb, and Harold Gelb said to me, no, no, you know, you, you, you can't, you're, you're putting the, the, the condyles in the wrong place, and he, made mincemeat of me at a, a lecture at Temple University in Philadelphia. And then they met me afterwards and they took me to dinner and said, Barry, you've got potential. And then I worked with him for seven years in his office. And then when I realized that what he was doing wasn't quite as successful as he claimed it was, he was. Because that, the, that, the Gelb appliance is literally the opposite appliance of uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah. And, 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 and then I started studying with uh, neuromuscular people and I was tensing people and making them, you know, and, uh, but uh, when I was with the Goucher people, when I was with, uh, the, the, and then with everybody else, I was using, at that point we were learning, teaching the programmer, six to 11, uh, which is uh, upper three to upper, uh, three to uh, three, three to three. And, and, and um, we were putting those appliances in and then, then they came back and said, oh no, we gotta take these appliances out, they're gonna cause trouble. And I said, okay. And I took the appliances out, and in my private practice, what I found was all my patients started to have pain again. So without telling them, I started putting appliances back in. This is about when I meet Jim Boyd. And Jim Boyd's going, oh my God, this, 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 and then you have to do this, you have to do this. And I met him afterwards, after his lecture, I said, oh my God, this is amazing. He said, well, did you find that you have to, for example, you can't let the canines touch? I never thought about that, but I lied. And I said, oh yeah, yeah, you can't let the canines touch. And then I went home, back to my practice, and removed all the canines. <laughs> And, and, and lo and behold, um, what I, then all of a sudden I make this realization. I said, we've learned all this stuff. I mean, I've learned how to diagnose. I've, I, we do blood studies. We do all the things you're supposed to do. We know when you're supposed to do imaging. We know because these are advanced patients. But when the, the simple ones, the, the, in the beginning, you'd get so many simple cases where it's a click, it was, it was a, some a degenerative joint disease, there was uh, some oral facial pain, some stylomandibular insertion, tendinosis, some referred pain patterns from, uh, from sprained ligaments. These were easy to fix. I would give these long treatment plans, and the, it started with an appliance, and they'd come back three weeks later, and I said, okay, now we're going to start the supportive therapy, and the patient would say to me, why? As a warning, me, it's I'm better. I said, no, you can't. It, it's, it's what in the US a lot of dentists call phase two, right? So your phase one's the appliance, and phase two would be a, a, a six figure. Uh, <laughs> no, no, this is still phase one. So this was supportive therapy. I never okay. ever did phase two where I told people, you gotta, you're now in a new jaw position. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the neuromuscular concepts and, and that, uh -huh. I, that, that I knew all along. I, I never ever recommended that. So, so having said that, but, but even the phase one was more complicated. And then I was, it suddenly struck me that these patients didn't need me. 
They didn't need the background I had. They didn't need the, the training I had in sleep and pain. They didn't need that. They needed a dentist who understood parafunctional control. And if a general dentist could do that, then they could send it to me for the supportive therapy that they would need, but they would already have been started with the appliance therapy that for the most part got them all better. So for the most patients, so, uh, for the simple patients, they would get better with the appliance, with their, with their dentist. And, and what I, what I want to know now is what kind of support therapy adjunctively uh, do you think works well? Oh, okay. So, so I mean, that might be a complicated question because it really depends on the exact diagnosis. So I'm not going to go into our patients with MS and our, or, or MS patients or, or patients with, 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 a, with more complicated, um, um, altered autonomic system responses. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go into that. I'm just going to talk about that patient with a degenerative joint disease. So the patient with degenerative joint disease, there's no better way to treat them, interestingly enough, than with an anterior midpoint stop appliance, even though one of the big myths that we have to fight is that you can never use an anterior midpoint stop appliance in a patient with a joint problem because you'll compress the joints. Well, the study after study, and we showed this in the course, shows that that's not the case. Uh, that 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 we don't compress. That's the concept of taking the condyle with no posterior support, and that and the, and the, and therefore allowing the the condyles to move up and back into the retrodiscal tissue doesn't happen. And we have tomographic proof of that. And, and because I'm a, a real geek, is uh, you know. I, I respect and I agree with that, but the, I like to find out why and the, you know, the, the, the nitty gritty of each bit. And, and my, the way I rationalized that was the function of the anterior temporalis, the vector that that does, actually doesn't allow it to go all the way back. So the anterior temporalis is a little more vertical, so, but, the, but the masseter temporalis is extremely anterior. Remember the origins is the inferior yep, portion the of zygomatic, the zygoma, yep. zygoma, and this attaching. So, so the attachment is, okay. looks, is, is really uh, so. So when you combine, you add the force vectors. Your physics, finally, physics might be some possible. Finally, finally, all the physics, <laughs> finally, the A level, yeah. everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So, so, but when you combine the force vectors, it's furthermore. Remember what we were taught? Another myth. Is the first 20 millimeters of opening is pure rotation? It's not. It's this. You know, I think MRI uh, has shown that, right? Translates immediately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and and it makes sense because the lateral turgoid is mm. it, it, it contracts at the same time that the the other the super open, highway, yeah. the, the, and so if when it contracts, the only thing that condyle can do is move forward. Well, as it's moving forward, how in the world is it going up and back? Mm -hmm. because because it's moved forward because there's something between the teeth and you're not allowed into full closure mm -hmm. so i didn't think about that, that so that that really um scratches that itch i had in, in, in a really good way so that's that's brilliant so not only is the vectors of the muscle which i already sort of had in my head it's also the fact that actually the lateral pterygoid is already activated because you're slightly open so it is actually giving that sort of um anterior position of the condom right I'm not sure that the lateral turbo is activated, but it's not allowed. To, it, 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 it doesn't it allow it to go all the way back. Yeah. Can't go back. Can't go back. And we see that we, when, we take, we, when we, we take someone with, a, with, with, with a, just a deprogrammer, just, a, just an NTI in, or an SCI, and we, put, we take a picture of it, the condyle is down and forward. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't bring them forward. No. So, so... So, the, so the answer, the, the, the answer is that, of, uh, that so with degenerative cases, we do, now, 
what else do we want to do? Well, do we want to go, um, if it's severe pain with a degenerative case, do we want to put them on steroids for a short period of time? Do we want to put them on NSAIDs for a short period of time? Do we actually want to, to we, we use a process called ionophoresis that, 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 that uses electrical current uh, and the process that, and the concept that likes repel. So it goes two phases, a positive and a negative phase. And the positive phase forces uh, the, uh, the lidocaine, which is a positive um, uh, 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 charged uh, 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 local anesthetic through the, in, through the, through the tissue into the, and then negative forces uh, negatively charged, which would be the steroid. And so we can get steroid into the joint without an injection. Mm-hmm. So we can treat them, give them six sessions of ionophoresis, put them on, uh, um, uh, uh, again, the splint therapy, which everyone would think, oh my God, you're crushing the joint. And, and degenerative disease gets now under control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have less pain and less dysfunction. Yeah. What about so, the role of a massage and physio? Okay, so it's interesting. Um, don't get me wrong, physio can be very, very, very helpful in some cases. I personally have found and teach that muscles are overrated, ligament insertions are underrated. So muscles tend to be the ones that are doing the pushing. They don't tend to get hurt. We don't even understand muscle pain very well. We know that there's an increase in, in glutamate, for example, in patients with muscle pain, but we don't really understand much about how muscles and why muscles hurt. And to be honest with you, there aren't many people when I palpate the masker, despite pain, reported pain, where's it hurt? It hurts here. Now palpate the masseter, and what do they say? Could you do that a little bit more? That's just what my grandmother does. They love that. <laughs> it's, very it's the same real. with the temporalis. It's like, oh, that feels really good. What's your hourly rate, they say. <laughs> exactly. It, it, you know, and, or if you find a sore spot, that's why they're getting anterior temporal headaches. No. Anterior temporal headaches are not sore anterior temporal muscles. And so I think muscles are overrated. Um, and muscles are the ones that, you know, if, if you're standing at the edge of the cliff and someone pushes you, uh, the object now wouldn't be to fix the pusher. It's to treat the damage that's done as a result of the pushing. Mm-hmm. We tend to look at the pusher. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the pushers are the issues. Interesting. So, uh, it's, and again, so, so physiotherapy can really be helpful in patients where we've reached our limit and then we want to increase the range of motion. Physical therapy can be really helpful because some dentists don't want to do the anaphoresis and do the ligament insertion injuries where we do a lot of injection therapy uh, on those patients. Um, um, and we, we, we don't, you know, I used to show those extra, those uh, clips of me doing these uh, Silo mandibular ligament insertions and masseter insertion and insertion injections, but I don't show them anymore because I, I um, the, the legal world's gotten kind of interesting and, and I don't want anybody getting in trouble because of what I taught them and the use of extra oral injections um, in some, some in the States and some I, I just uh, tried to defend uh, of some really good practitioners in Sydney, Australia, because they were doing trigger point injections. Now, I'm not even talking about trigger point injections. I think they are really overrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I may think that because I may not be as good at them as some other people. I just wasn't, personally, I couldn't find the trigger points as readily as some people claim they could. 
Interesting. I'm not saying they didn't. I'm saying I'm not talking about them. Talk about me. And I didn't get as positive a response from doing trigger as I did from ligament insertion injections. So Mm -hmm. we look at the style of mandibular ligament, the master insertion, um, and the major insertions in the post in the posterior cervical. A lot of our patients that wake up in the morning and they say, "Do you wake up with a headache?" They say, "Oh yeah, where is it?" And they'll point right here. They'll point right to the the attachment to the intranuchal line. And it's fascinating because when Levine's group, uh, Cato, uh, did a study, what they showed was right before the, these muscles contract, the, the temporalis and masseter contract, right before that happens, the elevators, contra- the depressors contract, almost as in an attempt, I'm careful, I, I, I don't try to predict why God or Darwin's doing what they're doing, but almost as though to, pro- to, to protect the, mass, the, 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 the structure so that you don't slam. Shut and it embraces the mandible for, for the L for the masters and temporalis when they suddenly contract at the same time, the posterior cervical muscles contract and they stay contracted in what we call isometric co contractions during the clenching activity. Well, when you're pulling like that on constant contraction, where is the injury likely to take place in the muscle itself? No. Mm-hmm. Where the at the enthesis where the muscle attaches to the infernal line, and well, this is whenever I'm doing a, a muscle examination, I, I, you know, I, I'm not expecting to find a positive result when I'm actually um, massaging the meat of the muscle. It's always at the origin and the insertion where you, you know you'd get a, a positive if there is a true positive response, right? Exactly. So we 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 palpate the origin of that that the, the deep cervicals, semispinalis and spinalis capitis. Here, we showed people how to do that, and that injury is the most common one to improve with parafunctional control. There we are. I'm, uh, I'm actually learning a lot, even though I already thought, you know what, I'm getting the hang of it. Then you throw these <laughs> new things out there. So yeah, muscles are uh, important, but ligaments maybe even more is uh, what you showed, showed there, and ligaments yeah. and, and theses, yeah. and, so that's very interesting. Um, I, I think of all the things we talked about tonight, I think the thing that I, I would like, if someone said to me, what, what, was, what was a message that you are hoping that someone watching this is getting? And what that message is, is that we as dentists shouldn't be afraid of unlearning and learning about occlusion, that it's not as complicated, that it's not as complicated. Uh, the answer is we don't want people occluding. And we'll show you how to protect people from doing that. And sometimes a flat plane appliance is the right appliance. Sometimes a tanner appliance might be the right appliance. More often than not, an anterior midpoint stop is, is appropriate. And we show you why and how. And to understand that this is not for the pain specialist. This is not for the guy that wants to treat migraines. Though it'd be awfully nice if some of your patients' migraines decrease in intensity and frequency as a result of your therapy. But I would never make that promise or may never make that diagnosis as a dentist. I yeah. diagnose bruxism, nocturnal parafunction. I think it's important to communicate in the correct way as dentists to our patients because we're not, you know, legally we should we can't be treating these these migraines. So we should be very much like, look, um, it's interesting they get these migraines. Uh, I want to help treat your reduce your forces because I don't want you to hurt your teeth and hurt your jaw anymore. Uh, let's see how that goes. Some patients it helps, some patients doesn't but I'm not treating you specifically for that. I'm treating other things. The good, the good news is that while we protect your teeth and your jaws and your, and your joint, a lot of our patients with migraines tell us 
they significantly decrease in intensity and frequency. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Wouldn't that be great? Hello. That's a that's a good way to to, to put it. There's actually so, so many questions, but I'm gonna have to c c cut it short because we're already coming up to the, the almost 50 minute mark. It's very easy to, uh, chatting to you, Barry. Uh, so I'm gonna okay. So you touched on the occlusion course uh, stuff. So I, I'm hoping to come see you in Glasgow in June for the part two because I've done your part one, but I'm gonna do the, the part two uh, as well in in June. I think you're in Glasgow and in London. Yes. So we're we're in Glad. I don't have the dates right in front of me. You could have them. Um, but the date, I'll put them on. I'll put them on. That's great. And the dates are so there's a two day in Glasgow, uh, where it's a one day uh, uh, the lecture, and then the second day is the is the hands on, and then we move the follow. That's a that's a Friday and a Saturday, and then we move to London the very next week, and we're in London doing the exact same thing Thursday and Friday at the BDA. Brilliant. So then uh, I'll make sure the details are all there. So one, one more question then uh, I, I thought of is that some people say that you shouldn't prescribe an anterior midpoint stop appliance for someone who's got uh, clicking. So anatomically, I can see where they're coming from because that is disc displacement. So the disc is now uh, usually um, a bit more anterior. Not always because it's a bit more complicated than that because it could be lateral pole and the medial pole could be fine. Then henceforth... Uh, an anterior midpoint stop appliance should not be um, contraindicated. And I know over a video, even the podcast episode, for those who are new to this and learning about this in anatomy, they're like, what the hell am I saying? Uh, and I've been there. But I think once you learn more about this, the anatomy, I think once you learn the TMJ anatomy, you can really visualize it better. But in, in that same scenario where you have anterior disc displacement and you do get some degree of seating just from the lateral pterygoid relaxing, right? With the anterior midpoint, midpoint stop appliance. There is a potential that it could be impinging on retrodiscal tissue, uh, disc tissue. My thinking, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Barry, my thinking is that a lot of times because the muscles themselves are reducing in force, that that doesn't seem to be a significant issue. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> I have to unpack that. Okay, so, so let's, let's go back. Mm. This disc is fibrocartilage. Mm -hmm. Very bony-like. And it's attached, if I can show you, it's attached, if this is my condyle, it's attached on the medial pole and the lateral pole. Yeah. It's attached anteriorly by the superior head of the lateral pterygoid. Yeah. And posteriorly by what's called the retrodiscal lamina. We used to call it a posterior ligament. But that's it's not really ligamentous irrelevant right now and then when i this thing is well tethered and wherever it goes there's an inferior compartment and a superior compartment and it, and it stays well tethered and it stays interposed between the condyle and the glenoid fossa and it's smooth and there's the temporomandibular joint ligament around it that's uh, yep. and, the, and the lateral collateral and ligament and this is uh, the synovial fluid there's a lot there's a temporomandibular joint ligament around the whole thing yep. Mm -hmm. This is the lateral uh, collateral ligament. This is the medial collateral ligament. Okay, mm -hmm. so it attaches it at the lateral pole and the medial pole. Yep. Okay, lateral pole and the medial pole. Lateral pole, medial pole. Now, mm -hmm. the the superior head of the lateral pterygoid runs medially because it attaches at the uh, lateral pterygoid plate of the sphenoid bone, yep. which is in the, sort of closer to the midline. 
So when it contracts, it tends to do damage to more often than not the lateral pole. And when it does damage to the lateral pole, the tethering is now is now altered. It's weakened. And here's the thing about ligament damage. It tends to be permanent. It doesn't heal. Right. So now that it tethering... doesn't heal, and also the only way is south. I mean, it could only really throughout someone's lifespan over the next decades, decades, decades. The the eventual, uh, and I've heard some people say this: that eventual pathophysiology is that eventually, if it's if the forces aren't controlled and the the micro trauma continues, then it, it's it only going to get worse and worse and worse. It get worse, and 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 just keep in mind that a third of our patients who are adults without symptoms have internal derangements that are significant. Hmm. So. I don't want to overstate the need to stop this from happening. And there's a, we go through, in the course, we go through how to make the decision whether or not someone needs to be treated. And it's not simply because they're clicking. It's just not it's, that simple. And so now this, 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 this tends to be, tends to be anterior and medial. Just tends to, uh, 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 tends to be that way because the lateral pole is been compromised. Yeah. And if it gets that way enough, there's a big thick posterior rim, and then when you open, the click is the reduction, the rim coming back over the condyle. That's what makes that click. All right. Now, how did it get that way? Well, it got that way through some sort of trauma to this lateral pole. You are right. If we don't stop that trauma, will this get worse? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> Back to episode eight. We, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that was a revelation. Absolutely, it's not I known. <laughs> I don't know. What's going I don't know. I can't say. Is the patient still grinding and clenching? I don't know. Yeah. Because they've got weight patterns on their teeth. Does that mean they're grinding and clenching? No. That means they grinded and clenched. But mm. it's it's not time stamped. I don't know. Yep. So, so now the patient reports that, you know, lately the click is getting worse, all right? Now, I don't care where this disc is, what's causing the click? Forces. What do I think? I think they're grinding and clenching. When are the forces greater, more destructive? During eating or during dysfunction? During car function. Absolutely. So if I can control the parafunctional forces, that patient may be able, it's fascinating, maybe you're able to eat. I very rarely need to tell a TMD patient with joint pain, you need to eat soft foods. It's very mm -hmm. rare because most of the time, those aren't the forces that hurt them. Now, if they're damaged enough until they get better, sometimes that's necessary. It's often usually not. Mm -hmm. Now, if I can, so wherever that, I don't care where that, Condylas, it could be medial, it could be there. If I can decrease the forces, I go in the anterior midpoint side. Yep, yep. So yeah, yeah, that, that's sort of what I thought, but you explained it so, so much better. So it's basically we're, we're decreasing the forces, uh, and, and that in itself uh, will, will mean that the sort of what's happening in the anatomy, which is, you know, we know, like we said right at the beginning of this episode, that actually there's only a defined position the condyle can, can go. It won't go all the way back. So this is interesting. Justine, what happens now in two months when the patient says, Dr. Barry, I don't have pain and I stopped clicking. Okay. What happened? So one of two things could have happened. Um, one of a lot more than two things. Okay. So the disc could have come back. 
unlikely, I think, because unlikely. like you said. So let's yeah. throw that out. Okay, go. Okay, so yeah, uh, uh, the disc could have come back. The other thing is that the, the posterior band has thinned a bit. So maybe it's changed uh, morphology so that the, the, the click is much more subtle. So it's not um, audible uh, to the patient as much. That is really good. Yeah. So the number of people that would have come up with that, I have to tell you, is really, so, when, so, so for those that are listening, when Jasneet said the posterior band, what he's referring to is the posterior rim of the disc. The posterior rim of the disc, which was responsible for that clicking because it was so thick, is, is if you decrease the forces and now they're no longer destructive, but they're within the patient's ability to adapt, part of that adaptation becomes remodeling of the posterior rim from the pressure. Instead of doing damage to the ligament, it now is altering that disc to change the direction forces. And now the disc is recovering, but with less veracity and now no noise. Mm -hmm. Really good, really good. <laughs> Some people would say, oh, now it's a disc displacement without reduction. And you'd say, Not a, no, because there's been no change in range of opening. Exactly. Yeah, there would be a change in range of motion suddenly in a young person, especially in a younger person. You know, <laughs> as, as much as I don't want to be known as a, a TMDD guy, but the more I t spend time with you, uh, it's like um, it's like my inner geek coming out. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's one of those really interesting joints. Um, it's one of the most fascinating joints in the body, and I can't stop learning about it. So it's, uh, it's, it's great. And, and to help our patients with parafunctional control, which I believe is the biggest source of consistent trauma to the joint, right. is, is, is a great thing to be part of. Yep, very good. All good, always is. Barry, thanks so much for, for coming on, this, uh, on, on my show again. I'm gonna have to bring you back again because the next time, because I had some questions about sleep and airway and I had so much, but you know, time is of the essence, my friend. Can I tell you that we really should do that because there's an awful lot of myths out there and people are making a big deal about something that could be very, very important, but like everything else, there's that knee-jerk reaction to make it more important and more difficult and more complicated than it really is. Well, let, let's make that happen. And I'm not just gonna leave a, a three words uh, that's gonna make you probably um, feel sick inside, I imagine, okay? Uh, and it's um, airway uh, websites, um, orthodontic practices, marketing themselves as providing airway friendly orthodontics it's sad it's really really sad and 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 please don't underestimate the incredible value of understanding the role of functional therapy in our younger patients mm -hmm. and the potential that it has so i don't mean to underestimate that in any way shape or form uh, but it's 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 our profession's habit to take some good information and put it take it out of perspective and make it a bigger deal because you can sell a course with it or you can or you 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 believe in it people often say ask me do i what do i believe in and what's my response to that you know that what do you care you know mm -hmm. uh, i'm who who am i you know what do you mean what do i it's not a matter of what i believe you know, um, I, I went through all that when I went through camp after camp after camp. And, and suddenly I realized that belief means religion and religion is cultish. And it has nothing to do with, with science. Uh, what, if you ask me what, 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 what the predominance of the evidence is, I'm very happy to tell you. If you ask me what I believe, what do you care? And unfortunately, 
they, they walk into these things, they, they want to know what, what is the belief. And, and these people are creating their own belief systems and their own models and their own techniques and their own, you know, it's, 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 very, it's very disturbing. Well, we have to come back to uh, cover th this sort of topic one day. It'd be very, very good to do so. Uh, enjoy Florida. And I think I've done quite, quite well. I don't think I touched my mustache uh, as <laughs> many times. The whole time. <laughs> so does that mean you weren't thinking? Uh, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's <laughs> good. It's good. good. Uh, oh, please, uh, I, I hope to see men, if anybody's actually listening to this. Uh, <laughs> I if you made that. it this far through our TMG, TMG mumbo jumbo, then well done. Firstly, <laughs> consider coming. We we we're we're very excited about it. this London trip has been just exciting to me. I I really enjoy. It. Initially, when I when I first came to London, Disney, I will tell you that I I think my my style was at that point it was ten years ago it was kind of difficult. They weren't used to my presentation style, which was you know theatrical. Yeah, a bit, a bit, <laughs> and 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 um, either Londoners have changed, uh, our, our UK, the world has changed, or you, you've been watching the Parliament too much, Parliament too much, and and I seem calm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, but it's it, I I so enjoy coming. The people are so eager to learn, and and I am so appreciative of the difficult world in which you exist. I I I know the pressures of the. Uh, National Health System. Uh, I I appreciate that, and my goal is to make your lives better, safely. Amazing. Well, we will. Uh, I hope to see you in June myself. In because I, I I can't do the London date, but I probably can do the Glasgow one. So I'm gonna take a flight to Glasgow to see you. So uh, I'll see you then, Barry. Be nice to catch up over a drink. Uh, and again, I'm gonna bring you back. Love for, I would love that. Brilliant. Uh, but we'll have to bring you back for an airway episode. Sounds good. Thank you so much for watching or listening all the way to the end. I really appreciate it. Uh, please share it far and wide to your dental colleagues if you enjoyed it. And I'll catch you in the next episode. Like I said before, I've got so many recorded and lined up uh, that I'm really excited to get them out. Some really great pediatric stuff. A really revelationary episode about how to look after your back as a dental professional, which is going to shock you. I, 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 I kid you not. So I look forward to getting all that out there. And thanks so much for supporting my podcast by listening to it. And I'll catch you in the next one.